and the pursuit of happiness. That we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, these are not necessarily Christian words. Um, Thomas Jefferson himself um, was a deist, um, as seen by any um, translation of his Bible. He scratched out more than a few passages. But these, do wor- these words do reflect an understanding that people are uniquely created, that there is something inherently valuable in life, especially human life, that affords it certain rights. That to have a creator, and creator to our founding fathers um, meant many different things to many different fathers, but to have a creator necessarily meant that all people are due certain individual liberties, despite this nation's long history of denying them to many people at many times anyhow. And these ideals, uniquely created uh, um, rights because of our creator, these ideals are firmly rooted in a Judeo-Christian inheritance. They're firmly rooted in a God who is loving, a God who creates mankind in his own image, a God who gives over to humanity stewardship of creation. Um, These are Christian Jewish ideas. And so the birth of this nation, you might say, is marked by an understanding that people have rights and dignity no matter their status, and this inheritance is indeed a Christian one. However, this is a declaration about how a people relates to his government, how a people relate to each other. It is not a declaration about how we as Christians relate to God. Jesus is not an elected president. He is the king of kings. The Bible is not an amendable constitution. It is the word of God. And following Christ is not entering into a social contract between a government, a governor, and his people, but it is denying oneself, taking up our cross, and following Jesus. I think it's fascinating. Our independence as a nation is built on an understanding of individual rights that are found certainly in Scripture. But the Christian life is built upon our salvation in Jesus Christ, and it fundamentally calls us to give up the same rights that our nation is founded on. It's a great paradox, and I think it's a great challenge for us as Christians in this country. A land born on the assumption of unalienable rights will struggle with a gospel that demands that we give them up. That's what I want us to look at this morning in our sermon. Consider um, our gospel account, right? Jesus is returning to his hometown. It could be a great celebration, the hometown boy done good. We see in this reading, however, Jesus' proclamation in Nazareth is countercultural to the expectations of this town. Now, certainly, this is a Jewish town. It's 
in Israel. It's built on um, first century Jewish expectations. They expected a political Messiah, one to restore their great nation of Israel. A Messiah that would triumph over the politics of Rome, triumph over the pagan Greek culture, triumph over evil from outside being inflicted upon the Jewish people. These were the expectations of Nazareth. And Jesus arrives, and he's proclaiming the gospel. And on the Sabbath, he begins to teach in the synagogue, and he's teaching the gospel, the words he's been proclaiming at this point for six chapters in Mark's gospel. But it's not what Nazareth expected. Jesus would have stood before them and said, Repent! Believe in the gospel. Repent! The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent! Repent! Repent of your sinful ways. This message is not what Nazareth desired, and it's not what Nazareth expected. They did not want to be told to repent of their own sins, of their own failure to follow God. No, what they wanted to hear was about the sin and oppression of others. They wanted to hear about God's vindication on the evil outside of their community and God's restoration of his holy and chosen people. And yet here's Jesus telling them that they are the ones who need to repent of their sins. So instead of responding with joy at the message of this hometown boy, they respond with doubt and questioning. The scriptures say that many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not Mary and Joseph's boy? He was such a nice boy. What happened? So the end of chapter 6, verse 3, Mark says this. They took offense at him. They were offended by the gospel. Mark actually leaves out um, a further account of the story. We read in Luke's gospel that after Jesus taught in the synagogue, after Jesus sufficiently offended everybody, they tried to kill him. They ran him up onto a cliff. They were prepared to throw him off before he vanished into them and escaped. And so Jesus, like his command to the disciples in the later reading in our gospel this morning, shook the dust off his feet, and he went on proclaiming his gospel in other villages. Friends, it seems to me that the proclamation of the gospel in any culture be it this one or any other one on this planet, will have some resemblance to Jesus' proclamation in Nazareth. Yes, some will come to faith in Christ. Remember, Jesus couldn't do many miracles, but he did manage to heal a few people. Some, yes, will come to faith in Christ, but many, we should expect, will be offended at the message of Jesus. The gospel the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord and that his grace redeems sinner is offensive. It is offensive. 
consider the message. Let's say you're a good person. You're always striving to do the right thing. You've always been the good child. You've been a good citizen, a good parent, a good community activist. The gospel requires you, in all of your goodness, to admit that you are still a sinner. To admit that you don't measure up. To admit that you can't save yourself. And what's more, the gospel requires you to admit that you, this good and great person, are really no different from this person who doesn't follow any rules at all. That y'all are on the same playing field. That is offensive. And that's a hard thing to swallow. But maybe you're the rebel. Maybe you're in charge of your own life. Maybe your theme song, perhaps you have dreams of it being played at your funeral, is Frank Sinatra, I Did It My Way. People do that. Um, the gospel requires you to admit that Jesus Christ is your Lord. Instead of your way, you have to do it His way. You're not self-autonomous. You don't get to make your own rules. That's offensive to many people. And so you see where I'm going. Jesus' message, our message, is not going to affirm our self-righteousness or our self-autonomy. The message instead is your life is not your own and your good works cannot save you. Do you see how that message might be challenging to a culture that is birthed in the declaration of independence. Yes, we have rights, and I'm thankful for them. Rights with respect to the government, rights with respect to each other. A fundamental one is the right to choose who and how we worship. But when we, as Christians, exercise our rights to follow Jesus, we actually give them up to his lordship. Yes, we have a level of freedom in this country to try and create the life we desire for ourselves. But at the end of the day, no amount of success, no amount of prosperity, no amount of wealth can save us from our own sinfulness. Can save us from our estrangement from God. And so this, I think, is our challenge as Christians. How can we embrace freedom as it's found politically in this country and yet live as slaves to Jesus Christ? True freedom, we see throughout Scripture, is not found in self-autonomy. It's not found in doing whatever we want. True freedom is found in the service to God who created us and redeemed us. And blessedly, we still have the freedom to serve this God in this country. But service to Him actually means giving up our rights for the sake of others. It means giving up our right to wealth so that we can serve the poor. Parents, I don't have to remind you how many rights you have given up to raise your children. It means giving up our right to time, 
to doing what we want to do with our time for the sake of Jesus Christ. It means giving up our right to watch whatever we want on TV or to look at whatever we want to on our computers so that we might honor Jesus. Our marriages, if there's any hope for our marriages, we must, be given, we must give up our rights for the sake of our spouse. Or if you're single, if you have any hope to live out the single life as God has ordained in Scripture, there are things that this culture values very heavily and very highly that you have to give up to be faithful to Jesus Christ. More than anything else, we have to give up our rights to be who we want to be so that we can be who Christ has made us to be. And friends, the only way we can do that is by first receiving the grace of Jesus Christ. He didn't count any of his rights to be his own, did he? I mean, look, he went to his hometown. He certainly had a right to be heard. He knew these people. He had a right for them to try to understand what he had to say. And he let that go. But ultimately, he certainly had some rights as the very son of God. What does he do? Do you remember that passage in Philippians chapter 2? He gives them up. He doesn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Instead, he gives, gives them up. He gives it up. He takes on the likeness of, of human form. He becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross. He gave up his rights. He didn't deserve that. And that truth, when it seeks down into the deepest and darkest recesses of your hearts, when you know that truth beyond a shadow of a doubt, you will willingly give up your rights in service to Christ. You'll be compelled. You can't earn this. You can't make a decision, okay, I'm going to give up these three rights um, so that God will love me. It doesn't work that way. But when you know that Jesus Christ loves you like that, that he would give up the right to sit beside the Father for eternity so that he could become a man and die for you, when you realize that, then you want to serve Jesus. You want to give up your freedom so that you can be his slave. And when you do that, people are going to be challenged by it. They might be, they might be offended by your message and your life and your following of Christ. We should expect that. But on the last day, Jesus Christ will return. He will establish his kingdom on earth. His people will be vindicated and triumphed. And we will serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And right now he's calling us to give up our rights and service to him so that the world may know his grace and his mercy. That's my prayer that we all will be able to do that today. When we bow our heads. Gracious God, we do thank you that we live in a country where we um, have rights and freedoms, especially the right and freedom to worship you. But I pray, Lord, that in our worship of you, we would willingly surrender our rights to you. 
that we would give up our um, freedom to become your slaves, and that your gospel would sink deeply into our hearts. We would serve you willingly and lovingly and receive your eternal salvation. We ask all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.